I'm Ren Young. And I'm Katrina Vargas. And this this is That Other F Word. Guys, I know that every time that we have a guest, I say, guys, we have the best guest. We're so excited. Um, We We usually are. We we are, and we were today. Um, But it's a little different. I, um, I felt honored in a different way to have the guest that we got to talk to. Um, we were talking to Calvin Taylor Skinner. Uh, he was, um, we, we were connected to him through Daisha, who we, Daisha Lundy, who we um, talked to in a previous episode. If you haven't listened to that one, you absolutely should. Um, but I, I think Katrina and I just can't say enough nice things about him um what a thoughtful kind kind i like i don't even have all the words he's we were just saying he's everything he's everything he's i mean just the beauty of his soul is so apparent it's oh he's tempting jewish katrina to go to church correct Um, We talked about I would to, I would I would really I don't ever want to go to church for any reason, but literally said I need to like I need to go to his service. I need to I need him to talk to me. So I mean, what you're in store for is such a great episode. We we actually waited to do our intro now to introduce him because we wanted to have the conversation with him. We don't need to prepare you for anything but greatness. Yeah. You know. Um, I think he might be the first guest that had like, he had questions for us. Yes. And (laughs) wow. And he's, so he's a reverend. He actually, he also ran for mayor. Yeah. He's, so he was born and raised here in Knoxville. Um, After graduating from UT, he attended seminary in Philadelphia and he spent 15 years doing nonprofit and religious work both in Philadelphia and D.C. Um, he is currently an associate minister at Mount Zion Baptist Church and a co-founder of One Knox Legacy Foundation. Coalition, sorry, not foundation. Um, I hope you guys really enjoy our conversation, and I hope that it inspires you and um, to, to have better conversations like this and to, to do better. Yeah, so... Um, with that, we will go ahead and get into our wonderful episode. It's a long one, but it's definitely something you need to listen to. It's worth it, folks. Absolutely worth it. So thanks for tuning in and uh, on with the show. We are so excited to have you here with us, Calvin. Um, we have our guest questions. All right. You're ready? I'll Katrina, you want to hit it off? Sure. Okay, let's do it. Okay, Calvin, are you a feminist? Oh, wow. Um, well, I'll say this. Uh, who I picture as a feminist and when I think of a feminist, I think of my mother in terms of her uh, independent way of, of thinking and moving and you know demonstrating uh, ways that um, you know, when she says something, we we follow through and when i say we follow through father brothers uh community and such um so for you know i would say yeah in terms of embracing um this 
who I see in, in terms of my mother being a strong, uh, beautiful uh, black woman. I embrace those characteristics that she have. Yeah, you'd, know, you'd have no problem somebody accusing you of being a feminist. I, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of answered our first two questions because you usually say, are you feminist? And then who do you think of when you think yeah. of feminism? So you answered that. So, Ren, you want to hit him with our normally third question? Yes. And you're a reverend, so yes. you, you, you can't lie, right? Uh, <laughs> you're not allowed to do I'm that. I'm not supposed to, right, yes. <laughs> But if you want to answer, not the extremely last thing, but one of the last few things, we'll let you do that. Um, but what is the last thing you Googled? Oh, the last thing I Googled. Um, see, so I, I mean, let me go into my history. Right here. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, this might be. You know, no one's ever done that before. And I always think if someone asked me that, I would absolutely have to pull my phone out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because it's all here. Like, you can't, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, so, yes, yeah, sales. Like, I, you know, um, uh, guilt. Uh, went, went to guilt.com. I don't know if you're with, with that, but it's, it's like these sales uh, that you can only get within a certain time frame. So, uh, they have like 48 hour, you know, quick selves on mm -hmm. all things fashion. Uh, my fiance and I, we, we love uh, our, our fashion and. That's awesome. <laughs> well, you look great. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's even in, in, in quarantine or, you know, this way of social distancing uh, where we're foreseeing in the next, I guess in, in 2021, <laughs> I, whenever we can, uh, play outside consistently. Although people are doing it. I mean, Tennessee, like Knoxville, I, yeah. you know, folks are getting out, but I'm, I'm still abiding by, uh, we're still in, in one phase one. Good man. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. We, yeah. I, we're both, we're all kind of doing that too. So we appreciate that. And you still have to look good even in quarantine. We're, we're you, really you about self care. And so we're really good. proud of you for this self care. Thank you. Thank you. And I dressed myself today. So <laughs> I'll take, I'll give myself the credit. You look like a million bucks. Yeah, you look very sharp. <laughs> Better than us. Well, Rinna's looks good. I'm in workout clothes. I'm sorry. Just, I'm <laughs> I will say, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I understand. I, I live, I work outside a lot, so I have to be comfortable, you know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm home with a four month old, so this is like my excuse. Like, <laughs> this is of the time, my, clue, my clothes are just like a giant burp rag. <laughs> I tell you, right, right, yes. Uh, send, me, send me the notes. When, I mean, everybody I know uh, who has an infant, you said four months? Oh. <laughs> How, what's, what's your sleeping? The sleeping pattern. It's not great, it? Calvin. It's not. It's not <laughs> <good>. <laughs> so, but I mean, but your your energy. I mean, the, you're you're still pulling through. I yeah. You, well, we've been really looking to, forward to having this conversation with you. So. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, I guess just first off, I wanted to ask you. You know, we're kind of in unprecedented times. Yes. Um. And when I called Daisha to ask her about who we should talk to. I, you know, she and I were talking about these days and it, I told her it feels kind of like we're in the book of revelations. I mean, everything is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
you know, I mean, and you see these stories about like murder hornets and, you know, like just a few months ago, Australia was on fire and, and certainly now like those things seem like small potatoes compared to what's going on here. Um, so just kind of in the midst of all of this, how are you? Yeah, thank you. Um, that's a good question because it's it literally it's like moment to moment, hour to hour. It can be day to day at this moment. Um, okay. In, in terms of just feeling uh, centered and uh, just even uh, sharing this experience with, uh, with you all uh, uh, open and curious and, and, you know, just, being in this moment and embracing this moment, I'm feeling centered. But, you know, like I said, just, just depending on the day you asked me a couple of days ago, um, you know, it, it ranges from, um, you know, frustration, uh, to hope, to worry. Um, but all in all, and even through it, um, you know, maintaining that self care, as you all uh, shared, is uh, is important. Uh, just that discipline of daily embracing, uh, just um, you know, positive thoughts and and ways of of understanding uh, how to understand my fit and my role and my voice, uh, especially in this moment, uh, just gives you a, a sense of purpose. So. Uh, even so, I'll even say purposeful. I feel purposeful. That's awesome. Um, so, another thing that Daisha and I talked about was so when I contacted her, I said I wanted to do an episode on police brutality. Mm-hmm. And she said that you would be a wonderful person to talk to because you could help us understand that there's actually a bigger picture here than just police brutality. Absolutely. So I was hoping maybe you could explain to us a little bit, you know, I I think right now people are, you know, just based on who they are, we're getting like stuck in all these little tiny pigeonholes, right? But I think it might be helpful for people to understand and even explain to other people, what is the bigger picture that we all need to be focusing on here? Yeah, well, you know, historically, uh, we have to understand how this country was established uh, when uh, we look at the, the Constitution and uh, we even, you know, have uh, embraced this, uh, this, this myth out of the Constitution that we, uh, we're, we're all endowed with inalienable rights, uh, inalienable uh, rights, uh, that there were a group of people who weren't considered, uh, who uh, were intentionally uh, left out. And uh, in fact, uh, there uh, was an amendment to, to ensure uh, slavery uh, was institutionalized. Uh, therefore, uh, with that understanding, uh, there was, there, to, in order to even uh, push this notion that uh, people could be slaves, slaves, that there had to be a, a mentality, a, a way of thinking that had to be cultivated and pushed uh, upon uh, an entire nation. Because, I mean, if, you, if we even do the, na- the, the numbers, um, there were, uh, you know, fewer slave owners than there were 
um, you know, people who weren't enslaved. And so for that group of people, particularly white people who weren't necessarily uh, slaveholders themselves, they still had to embrace uh, this, uh, menta this mentality, this attitude to ensure that this uh, institution would thrive, slavery. And so the understanding that uh, black people were not human, the fact that they push uh, uh, books and other literature to some, you know, prove that or show that uh, black people came from animals and all these uh, demeaning ways of describing uh, black people uh, were, was just in the DNA. And, and that's what we have to be honest about, uh, that this nation uh, in, in the core, at the core, uh, for slavery, for the institution of slavery to thrive, the, the DNA of this nation had to embrace uh, that black people were less than human. And so with that, uh, you know, we can, uh, you know, of course, you know, talk about all the other demeaning behaviors uh, to, to ensure um, slaves stayed in their place. Uh, they had what they call slave patrols, and slave patrols uh, were uh, people who ensured that uh, those who escaped slavery, or it didn't necessarily have to be those who escaped slavery, but uh, those folks who, they were like, okay, we can get, uh, uh, there's a bounty um, to, to capture, uh, you know, uh, a man or a boy or a woman, and we can, it was lucrative, right? And so these slave patrols uh, evolved into what we know now as police. And so just within the framework, uh, especially for uh, black people and our understanding from the inception of uh, slave patrol that eventually um, evolved to um, police, uh, there has always been uh, this, this tension uh, because at the core of it, we, there, there has never been a built-in trust, uh, a mutual uh, way of, of respect to say that uh, this institution of law enforcement is, is for the protection and the service of Black people. Yeah, that that's something I, I didn't know a lot about, but I've heard a lot recently about the police coming out of slave patrols. And I, I don't think I'd ever heard about that until this past week. Um, yeah. I think a lot of us have been, I think a lot of people think this is all new. And I can't help but think we just, we're continuing to repeat patterns. And the same pattern is that we marginalize our black yeah. community, we keep our black community mar marginalized, and we don't want to. We don't want to ever admit what we did to do this, what, how this happened, why it happened, why it continues to happen. Um, this is something forged in our country's beginnings, and we still just haven't come that far. I'm telling you, hey, so Coach, I'm glad you you shared that because in fact, this was the first. Well, this moment was a the a, a moment 
the, uh, the first moment I heard a white person, you know, kind of share this confession and it didn't happen until, um, you know, around Ferguson uh, with Michael Brown uh, case with, I think is around 2016 or whatnot. But uh, a friend of mine, uh, we actually met while I was uh, in grad school uh, doing my theological studies in Philadelphia. And uh, we were able to connect because he was from Tennessee. He was from uh, Kingsport. Mm. He grew up in Kingsport and, you know, naturally being from Knoxville, we were able to, oh, this, this East Tennessee connection. But if we know Kingsport, Kingsport is, white. you know, in the in lily white mountains. So <laughs> even with that, right, there was still our, you know, way of, of connecting and forged, you know, a, a great, a, a great relationship. But fast forward to, to Ferguson, um, Michael Brown, uh, you know, hands up, don't shoot was, you know, sort of a mantra that came out of that. This young black uh, boy uh, about to graduate from high school, um, shot unarmed by the police. Witnesses say, say his hands were up and they, they, his body laid for hours in the streets and people were just um, astonished that, you know, they're observing this uh, boy's body in the street and it seems as if no intervention is happening, right? The police officer eventually, uh, you know, is acquitted. I don't think he was even charged, but anyways, it, it created this unrest in Ferguson and he called me up because he's like, I, I want to do something. I'm compelled. Because, but he's, he said, literally, his family disowned him because they couldn't understand how he could go and protest. He was in Philly at the time, and he was protesting, doing the, the lay-ins and other demonstrations. And he told, he shared the logic with me in terms of why he was compelled, because he said, as he was digging deeper into uh, Ferguson's and uh, Ferguson and, and the black community's reaction to this, he, he was like, our suspicion, the black community's suspicion of the police is no different than how he grew up. And he was groomed to be suspicious of the state, you know, government, law, you know, larger law enforcement, federal law enforcement, because He's like, we, we just can't trust them because they overstepped their bounds. And he's like, this is why we believe in the Second Amendment, our gun rights. He's like, I'm a gun-toting, you know, Republican man because we don't trust the government, right? <laughs> and, and that's another conversation, right? Yeah, I mean, he's like re Republican as Republican can be, right? Second Amendment, all that stuff, right? And he was like, I see it, Calvin. I see y'all have the same suspicions that we have. But he's like, the difference is I'm, I was taught that Black people deserve the treatment because I grew up, I grew up being taught that Black people in the inner city are criminals. They we don't, 
necessarily take care of our families. You know, all the stereotypes. He's like, I was taught that. And, and my family, they're now disowning me because they said now he's aligning himself with the criminals. And he was like, Calvin, I'm in Philly. I live in the neighborhood of black community. I have a connection with you, my friend. And he's like, I bought into the lie, the myth. And so um, just, you know, I, I think the, there, there is a dis, there is the disconnect because of the myth that's perpetuated the lie, the, uh, you know, the, you know, all the stuff, all the stereotypes. And, and one of my elders said, it's not so much that we are divided more than we are disconnected. And if we were intentional about forging uh, connections and not focusing on what divide, divides us, uh, just as my friend Sam Luffy, who is on fire for social justice, who grew up a Republican, gun-toting, um, and, and interesting enough, he will say he wasn't taught to hate individuals, right? He would say that I could have a conversation with an individual Black person, but the truth of the matter was in terms of, of Black people as a whole, especially from the inner city, I was taught to fear them, right? And so he's like, once he took that leap, like I said, now, now he's, <laughs> you, he's in the inner city, Philly, uh, really doing the social justice work, uh, doing the multicultural, intercultural connections, and is, is marvelous to see. So it just shows you can change even if that's, you know, you can change your mind, even if that's something you have been brought with. I mean, and it's like we talked about having these conversations, talking to people who aren't in your echo chamber or, you know, people who are a little different than you. My, my experience, I actually kind of went the opposite way, you know, so, you know, I grew up in Miami, so it was very diverse. And then I came here and it wasn't, and I was not comfortable. I'm mostly not comfortable. And I, I hate that we're not that diverse. I hate that I don't come across people that are different than I am all the time. And, you know, we have to though, especially when we are in that, in a place like this, we have to purposefully, I think, seek out oh, absolutely, and have the hard conversations. Absolutely. It, it takes intentionality and uh, those hard conversations uh, can put you in an uncomfortable position. And, and that's a challenge. That's, that's a challenge. In, in fact, uh, I, and I, you all, I, I would love to, to hear your, your perception with that. I, I often hear, um, even among our uh, city leadership, um, you know, who, who are white, then they will confess, they share, I don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, they don't want to have those hard conversations because it's just as if being uncomfortable, it, it, you know, to put yourself out of the comfort zone, I guess. But, I'm, you know, as, as a black man, to be frank and to be honest, I mean, that's, that's my daily. I would say you're uncomfortable 100% of the time. And, and yeah. quite frankly, you've got to, and I can't help but think, you know, of course, my first reaction when you said the the political powers that be don't want to, 
have these conversations because it wouldn't be politically. Um, oh, right. Yeah. But, but I don't care. Like we're, we're, we've got to be humans first. And I want to be uncomfortable because I want to do the right thing as much as I can. And I want to be right. as educated as I can, especially about the things I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But what is it that, especially when it comes to, to race, or just in general, I mean, that I would love to, to hear your perspective on what, what is it coming out of the comfort? I mean, I know the, the basic getting out of your comfort zone, you know, you don't know how people will respond or whatnot. But in, in reality, as you share, because, you know, as we're all grown, right? It's, it's, it's like we're all grown people. We all know right from wrong. So if we know this is the right thing to do, but it doesn't make us comfortable, so then it, it makes us step back. Like, what is it that, especially within the white community, that people are resistant to being I uncomfortable? Can, yeah, I can. So when I told these two I wanted to do this episode, uh, Mitch's first response was, are you sure you want to bumble your way through an episode on race? <laughs> because it does make me really uncomfortable. Um, and I think, I mean, what I told him was that, that that's not too high a price to pay, especially at a time like this. I don't really mind being uncomfortable, but it does make me uncomfortable. Um, I mean, actually, I feel very comfortable right now with you, but, um, or talking to Daisha, but, um, you know, I think uh, I am very aware. I, I took a class in college about like white privilege and it didn't, I don't even know that then it was fully real to me. Um, right. But just as an adult, it's be, you know, I've had more and more experiences and the weight of the great, I'm, I'm going to try not to cry because I know that's like a thing. White <laughs> oh, no, no, women like cut, cut it out. <laughs> um, but just the, the weight of um, the terror that has mm. been inflicted on people, you know, mm. um, it's a lot and it's, you know, it's by my ancestors and it's, it's, um, well, it's by our fellow, our fellow white people. And it's really yeah, not my ancestors. It's happening. Yeah, today. It's happening yeah. now. And, and we're as white people, um, it's embarrassing. It's shameful. I, both of us, for instance, I mean, if somebody accused us of that, it would be, the worst thing you could accuse us of and right. and then how we're complicit in it um whether it's intentional or not um and you know usually race questions come to me if we have anybody of color and i do i do bring it up it's really a big it's a big deal um, i write the question and then make katrina ask it when we talk about it you know since we're a feminist podcast we talk about it we talk about it from our white feminist perspective that's what we've got i i only have that i, I can't live somebody else's experience but i can be aware that black feminism is something and i want to talk to our yeah black guests about that we, when we're talking about this you know you're this is a this is something that we are concerned about because we are we care about our fellow human yes, it doesn't right. and 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 yeah. we and, and we know we have to care about you more it makes us and i'm speaking for ren I, I know how she feels about it we've talked about this we are legitimately concerned for you we, we talk about all the inequity of being a woman in this world. Well, you know what we don't have to be is a black man in this world. Yeah. And 
you have you you were born with a target on your back that you can be you and I could walk down the street and you are going to have one you know you're going to have a hell of a hell higher percentage of being attacked by someone who's there to protect you than I will I'm not going to be shot by the police let's be honest okay unless I wave a gun around and even then I might not be you know Dylan Roof killed a whole entire church full of people yeah, right, and nothing yeah, happened to him right, he went yeah. to jail peacefully if, if they even that, took him to Burger King right you know yeah, like, if, a, if a black man walked in to kill and killed the majority of a white church he does not see a day in court right I mean yeah. that's just that's fact yeah yeah but you know as you shared the the awareness um you know is is important you know being a you know first being aware of you know yourself personally uh, because it, obviously the the scope of this is is deep and complex and um it it will mean you know for us to to get dirty and and you know to really dig deep to deconstruct you know all of which is is you know, structural, you know, racism, but even doing the, the personal homework uh, is important because it, there are subtle ways, right? There are, there are subtle ways that, um, you know, our, uh, the, the bias, the, you know, things that, um, you know, might inflict uh, me, but for you, you know, as a white person, even as a white woman, it, it might be subtle. Um, so having that awareness and, and, you know, for us to not even be quick uh, to to react, uh, but in a have a posture of listening uh, is important because I, I think you know even as you know, Daisha, I'm sure uh, she could share um, from a black woman's perspective. As I even observe my fiance, in in terms of how she moves. You know, for us, like we understand the complexities of the the larger issue, but it's the subtle things. In fact, uh, my fiance, uh, when we often go out, um, you know, if the question comes up, uh, you know, what does she do, or what you know, Alicia, what do you do? She's, you know, she'll share. I'm a I'm a professor, and then the first question is. Um, you know, she'll say what she's a professor in, and the first question, and this is. I'll tell you the truth is, is all white women who usually do this, they will say, but do you have a PhD? <laughs> I mean, as if, you know, to, and I'm like, what does, first of all, what does that have to do with her being a professor? And then for her to be an assistant professor, you have to have, in 99.9 times percent have a phd but it, it's like almost we it, it's like we 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 can't comprehend this black woman you know as articulate as she is as engaging as she is like it it, it we we can't validate that she has you know the credentials to be what she you know so it, it, it's the subtle ways right so you know can you know and she's polite I'm I'm not as polite sometimes <laughs> <laughs> you know but it's like I said the it's like the you know and and it's and I'll 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 put myself into I respond the way I respond because 
for this white woman, this might be the only time she has said this or, you know, she thought she'd said this, but this is a pattern that I see a lot of times. So I know Alicia, if I observe this, I can't even imagine how many times Alicia has to deal with it. And then when she responds where I would say is legitimate, yes, damn it, I have a PhD. I'll be like, yes, but for that white woman, she would be as offended and like, what, you know? And, and then my fiance is now overreacting. But, you know, the awareness isn't there to say, okay, let, as a white woman, let me step back. Why, why do I need to know that she has a PhD? And do I ask this question of others? Right, to the counterparts. To my counterparts. And I'm quite confident, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, so I've, I've been reading about like microaggressions. Yes. And that's a microaggression. Yes, right. I mean, right. because as I, so I've been trying to really do this research because I want to make sure I would be absolutely, I would expect to be called out and I would absolutely be so devastated. I did this by, you know, even not intentionally, but because it's all this unconscious bias bias is in here. And I sit, you know, I don't ever want to sit behind my white privilege. Okay. And so I want to make sure, and that's, that's a microaggression. We've talked about this on the feminist scale too, you know, so she's not only a woman, she's a black woman, a guy, oh my God, she could get her PhD. Well, yeah, you should be surprised. You've been holding her back her entire life. Right. Do the history. Right. Do the home. You will. Yes. yes. I mean. And so, yeah, it's so, so it's, you know, but I, I appreciate, you know, just, you know, what you were saying, just even the awareness and, and the self homework, because, you know, the, the addressing the structural issues, um, you know, we will need like 10 podcasts for that, but I'm willing, you know, I'm willing to commit, you know, to, because it, it's, it's important to address the structural things, but until we um, even become aware of the subtle things, um, you know, it, it, we're, we'll be hard pressed um, to do like real sustainable, like real sustainable work to, to re, to deconstruct um, the the current system and and to do the anti-racism uh, work, um, but um, yeah, just you know the, the even getting back to the police um, interactions, uh, just you know as as a black man in Knoxville who, you know I, I would say I, I'm relatively engaged and and uh, one just as a community activist uh, minister so on and so forth. Ran for mayor. Ran for mayor. Yeah, um, you know, want to be proactive uh, to uh, to elevate uh, connections and relationships across, uh, you know, the perceived divide and the real divide. But there was a, an instance while even running for mayor, uh, I was in the church parking lot talking with one of our our youth. This was, you know, after uh, a function, so it was. It was like nine, you know, nine thirty p.m. It was, you know, late, and I'm talking, having a, a real deep conversation, life conversation, uh, with this young man, and I see uh, the, the police drive by, a police car drive by, 
And then a few minutes later, I see him drive by again. And I was like, if he drives by the third time, I just felt it. I'm like, he's, he's going to stop. And of course, he drives by the third time. And then I was suspecting him. So he, along with another patrol car, lights on, lights glaring, comes into the parking lot, the church parking lot. I was like, I can't believe, like, even though I forecast, I was like, I knew this was going, I still couldn't believe it. But, you know, did the precautions because one thing, uh, as every black family goes through, especially with their, their sons, we, we, we have to talk with our sons. This is what you do when you're stopped by the police. You get your ID out. You have your hands where they can see and such. So uh, he comes by. He's like, oh, officer, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious. Why, why are you in this parking lot? Why do you feel like you need to, uh, to confront us? And he's like, well, I need to see your ID. I was like, well, sir, I am on staff of this uh, very church. Uh, in fact, uh, you will see that the name on the marquee, I'm co-pastor with my father. The, our names are the same. I even have a key uh, to the church. I can key in. So, you know, I, I need you to know I belong here. And he's like, okay, well, I was, you know, this very curt, rude. Okay, I still need to check your ID. Okay, sir, check my ID. So he goes, does the whatever. Ten minutes later, comes back, you know, gives me the ID. And then, well, let me say this. I'm, I'm in the, 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 my, mental, my mentee's car, and my car is next to his, parked next to his. And I see them searching my car. And so I asked the officer, I was like, I established I work here at this church. I established I belong here. Why are you still going through these motions? I don't know if you're telling the truth. I just showed you my ID. I just said I can key into the church. He's like, well, I still don't know. And I'm getting incensed. I really, I so, I, I didn't know what else to do because I'm like, I, I'm lecturing this officer. So I, and even my mentee is like, Calvin, calm down. But I'm, I'm lecturing him. I was like, I'm, I'm one who wants to ensure that we have positive connections. But these are the moments that do not uh, ensure that we have positive connections because even for somebody who established my identity, for somebody who established that I belong here, you're still going through the motions. And then I just felt like he was like, I, have to, I still have to prove to you I'm the cop. So he still goes through all his stuff. And then I called my, my, uh, my father. I was like, Pops, I'm, I'm feeling myself getting a sense. I'm running for office, so I, I know I can't do anything, you know, or I think, you know, it's that pressure of, okay, I can't do anything too out of line. Pops, I need you to come to the church. And he's like, what's going on? I was like, these officers, they, they're, they're overstepping. And, you know, so he's like, okay. Uh, he called one of uh, 
a deacon of the church, uh, you know, one of the church officers who lived right down the street. He's like, well, I'm, I'm going to call him to, to come through. And then the officer said, well, we can leave. No, no problem. No problem. All of a sudden they're like, okay, we can leave. And so those are just some of the, and, and that's just one example, you know, well, that's just one example. I'd like to rewind to the very beginning of this when you said yeah. you guys are taught what to do yes. right. when a police officer stops you. Okay. <laughs> this is a conversation Ren's never going to have with her son. Right. Okay. You, you guys have purposely been trained because it's a known fact at some point you will just be living while black yeah. and someone will stop you. And then you're yes, going sir. to have to behave in a certain way so you are not murdered. Yes, sir. Literally, I mean, that is what's, that's what goes through your mind. Like, how do I get out of this alive? Like, that literally. Not arrested. We're not talking about arrested alive. Right. How do I, how do I manage to gather situation so I can get out of this alive? I mean, this, this goes so much. So, so you, um, actually, uh, 22 years ago, yesterday, um, a young, a gentleman by the name of Andre Stinson, um, was who he, he was killed in police custody. Um, so this was, this actually started, uh, the, what we now call park, the, uh, the police, uh, review, uh, you know, the police advisory review, uh, committee, uh, park. Uh, but 22 years ago, um, Andre Stinson was pulled over. Uh, the reports say that it was because he didn't have his, uh, his lights on, uh, but just in, uh, again, reports say because of just, you know, fear or whatever, just got a gel, wasn't supposed to drive, whatever it might be. They say he ran, they called up to him and they say that he died because of a heart attack out of exertion. But what the reports and it's not even in the report because they said that all they did was put him in custody or whatever. And he died. But for a fact, they know he was, he had uh bruise and, and evidence. He was beaten. It's like, it was, it was a fact. And so uh, this uh, obviously calls, you know, it, it was a, a line of, of killings um, of, of black men in particular in Knoxville uh, that even led up to Andre Stinson's death. And, uh, you know, this called the, the, the city uh, leaders to, you know, uh, an outcry. Uh, there was a lot of, and then uh, Mayor Ash at that point, he was the mayor. He established uh, what is now uh, Park. And then uh, they put in the, uh, the police, the, the video uh, in, into the police. But, you know, it's, it's this even, I, how old was I? I was maybe like, uh, like 16. Uh, so to, to, 
like have these real world examples. Like I don't have to turn on the news to to see what's going on in in New York, or I I didn't have to hear about what's going on in L.A. Like this is happening here. Again, like that was uh, you know the the um, the talk you know that parents that black parents have. Just like you you have the sex talk. And you have the police talk uh, because literally, as I share, is how do I get out of this alive? We don't and have those conversations because we don't have to. And that's, that's not okay. Can I ask you, so, you know, of course, the straw that kind of broke the camel's back here was what happened to George Floyd. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, you know, this has happened hundreds thousands we don't know how many times um what does it feel like when after something like this happens and people are saying things like blue lives matter and supporting police over yeah Yeah, you know it's Unfortunately, expected, you know, that's, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's wild because it's like you as a black man, as a black man, I know, I was, I'm like, you know, racism is as American as apple pie, right? And I, what I do wrestle with is what is it about even the word black that disturbs um you know especially uh racist folk you know white folk who even say they aren't racist right <laughs> but to you know where you know with with george floyd the reemergence of the continual i would say not the reemergence but the the continual mantra of black lives matter as if Black Lives Matter is saying no other lives matter, or as if Black Lives Matter is saying that Black lives are better than, is saying no, that until Black Lives Matter, we cannot be the country, we cannot be the nation, we cannot be the society that we should be. And, you know, even I saw a meme where, you know, someone say, well, when Boston had uh, the the terrorist attack during the marathon. We said Boston strong, or we even with the tornado, uh, we you know rallied around Nashville and said Nashville strong. And nobody said all cities matter. Nobody says Knoxville is Knoxville strong or Knoxville is better. But what is it about Black lives that people can't say? Oh, this is no different than if. And when Boston was dealing with what they were dealing with or Nashville was dealing with what they were dealing with, that uh, to rally around these people is to say, we are with you. I, you know, that's I, the frustration. Well, I think it goes back to what you were saying. Historically, the, you're dehumanized. Mm. Right. Period. Because they don't, right. they don't think of black lives the same. Hence, I guess, right, we see the pattern um, oftentimes when we see uh, black men and women uh, victims of police brutality, they'll bring up 
what their old record or something, right? I guess they'll bring up something that happened 10 years ago. Like all of a sudden you see sort of this campaign. Right after their murder, that's about the next thing that makes me about as enraged as I can get because I don't, first of all, it's irrelevant. That's not the conversation we're having. Get an education and learn something is what I like to say. And one, um, none of those offenses, even if they had committed them, are punishable by death. Right, right. So probably be smart and think, oh, they could have done about 5 million things. And the repercussion in our judicial system is still not death. It's still not penalized by death. So how how is it relevant? (laughs) But I I, I would even, even with that, right, we see... Um, a lot of times with these mass shootings of, you know, typically the, the white young man, you know, uh, whether it's Dylan Roof in South Carolina or Colorado, uh, all of a sudden you see, you know, the similar headlines of, of for, for each incident, uh, a loner or mental health. Uh, is you know the, this young man has dealt with mental health issues for you know however many years you know it's 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 phenomenal right to see you know for us not so subtle um, you know ways of of trying to distinguish or you know trying to create these uh, campaigns to diminish one group or the other but uh, you know for um, you know, this narrative that's often placed on one group of, you know, people and compared to another group, um, you know, when uh, especially the Black community continues to be enraged, it's, it's like America gets amnesia and forgets, you know, all of the not-so-subtle ways that it creates these narratives for, you know, especially white men when they commit uh, certain atrocities, and it is in, and I think for Knoxville in in particular, because we haven't had, I would say, a like a, a huge national uh, event, and and Knoxville is is a it's it's a polite city. You We're in know, a bubble. Everybody, everybody has manners, uh, but when you have these voices that are trying to amplify and convey that, okay, there, there are still some subtle ways that at the end of the day, it aligns with it. You know, we may not have had that national moment yet, but if we continue on this certain trajectory, um, you know, there, <laughs> we, we may very well be one of, you know, these cities that, that, erupts but you know i i am you know hopeful uh because you know we we have people like uh daisha um i i will count even amelia parker uh you know these are these folks who are you know campaigning that you know daisha or uh, even have been elected uh who are you know trying to shine a light you know on this and you know even uh you know my attempt you know to run for office was uh, you know, the, having that posture to say that we, we, we cannot continue in the same pattern, expecting different results that uh, if Knoxville is, 
going to be the city that it needs to be. Uh, if Knoxville, uh, and I, I really, I do believe this, that Knoxville could actually be the model city um, for uh, this region and, and for this nation uh, that, that we need to take uh, a serious look and just not a serious look uh, to, to really take some unconventional approaches and, and take some, you know, radical, for some people it's radical. For me, it's, it's not really radical. It's, it's necessary approaches to, to say, all right, we, we have an opportunity uh, to really do some needed interventions where this city can really thrive, like it, it really can thrive uh, in a way that we don't have to pretend, we don't have to, you know, somehow uh, ignore, uh, you know, certain communities and say, oh, well, that's just their problem or uh, that's just the way it's always been, that we can really do some serious, uh, some, some seriously good work if, if we choose to do. Do so, and then put the people, and put the people, uh, just not um, in politics, but you know, just even with your podcast, and and if we think about you know in business and 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 education, uh, if if we align and 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 we are intentional to to place people who are are serious and who are willing and able to be uncomfortable so we can do the, the surgery, the necessary surgery to, to get us well. Uh, we'll, we'll be, we'll be cooking like, like, uh, like on a good, um, barbecue 4th of <laughs> July, Juneteenth. I'll, I'll do in Juneteenth because Juneteenth is coming up. coming up. Um, you know, we, we will, I'm, I'm telling you, we'll, we'll be on, on fire. Well, I love that your I love your love for Knoxville. We did also speaking of kind of Knoxville. Ren and Mitch and I the other day shared this. We have a tank in the city of Knoxville. So, oh, did you see really? that? Yeah. Oh, like so, man. I guess we're getting ready for this big <laughs> event. That, <laughs> that it's actually not new. They've had it. They've had it I'm for a while. You, yeah, yeah. Right, but, is it as? Is we that discovered something? it. Yeah, we discovered yeah, right. it. Oh man, I, if, I'm telling you, if, if, if we did, it, it's not even the, the hard work, the, but the, the uh, uh, how are, the way they are militarizing uh, the police is like they, they get all these fancy instruments and, and they're like, we, you have no choice but to use it, right? It's like, yo, we got these, you know, these, these federal government stuff that these tanks and all this stuff. And then you, you know, like for Knoxville, for Knoxville, right? Where you know there needs to be serious reform and push towards, uh, you know, ways to, you know, to intervene where we have, you know, professional uh, mental, uh, you know, health workers who, uh, you know, instead of you know criminalizing mental health. Uh, we are putting the necessary interventions and and train people. You know the the fact that uh, police officers are not trained to deal with uh, mental uh, episodes and and you know other situations. Uh, you know there. You know is you're doing a disservice. Um, you know to the city uh, by not empowering and training and, and putting. Uh, people who are capable to doing the 
the necessary intervention. Well, it seems like there's too much um, on their, uh, there's, they're, they're being in charge of too much. And yes. quite frankly, yeah. without the tools, a tank is not what we need. We need education and training and leadership. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Representation. Uh, you know, I think the tank is just indicative of, you know, the, the deeper layers where uh, you, if you look at the senior leadership within law enforcement, what does the senior leadership look like? Does it look like the community uh, it serves? You look at even who patrol the streets, do the streets, are they patrolled by people who look like uh, the people they're patrolling? Uh, all these factors are, are important and you know, we, we can be casual. We can continue to kick the can, you know, down the road. And, and, uh, but we, we know that there, there is a culture that within the police department, within law enforcement that needs to be held accountable, uh, to, you know, uh, certain things that has not been held accountable to, uh, but we can certainly start with representation. Uh, we can certainly start with putting trained uh, mental health professionals uh, within uh, the system. And that's just, you know, and, and for me, that's a, that's a, a quick, easy start uh, that could have significant results. Um, as far as people on an individual basis, you know, Katrina and I wanted to talk to you about you know, there's all these narratives right now kind of floating around and it's, you know, white people like, you know, are you checking on your black friends? Right. And then also, you know, when I talked to Daisha, she said, you know, some of her friends don't want to talk to white people right now. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, I've seen posts about, you know, your silence is deafening, but then also I've seen posts about, you know, um, hey, white people, like, stop posting these long narratives about how upset you are on social media. (laughs) You're drowning out black voices. And so in terms of how we provide the support that people actually need right now, um, how do do we do, how do we be supportive in a way that's actually meaningful and not just performative for us? Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. So... You know, this is the thing with your individual work, you know, networks, I should say, your individual networks, I I would just um, suggest, encourage, you know, to be sensitive to individuals because, you know, even within the black community, we're not even a monolith, you know, they're... uh, individuals have particular needs for, so for like Daisha, I'm, I'm okay, you know, I, I don't need the, the check-ins for another individual. I need you to post <laughs> every day, you know, your, your pendants or whatever. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the, this is the thing that, that I've, I personally feel, I'll just speak for myself, that uh, there, there's enough uh, knowledge out there. In fact, uh, you know, for your audience, I'll just you know, share uh, a couple of uh, readings, the history of, of white people um, by Neil Panter. And then uh, for our, for your audience that is in Knoxville and in this region, uh, Blacks in Appalachia uh, gives a great narrative of 
not only Black Appalachia and, and the contributions of Blacks in, in Appalachia, uh, but really how uh, Appalachia region and Knoxville, because Knoxville is Appalachia, uh, how it has, um, you know, sort of uh, nurtured or, you know, created uh, our posture in terms of Blacks uh, within this, in this region. Um, it, it does a great job of that. Uh, this is a great book. Um, they, I don't have the, the jacket, but they were her property, um, which goes through the, the narrative of, of white women slave owners and white women um, really being a, a significant driver of, of, of slavery and, and uh, you know, the, the institution of, of slavery. And then I'll share uh, this last one because the other ones are very familiar. Uh, we all know Ibram, uh, uh, Kendi and such, but this is algorithms of oppression. And this uh, is a helpful uh, tool because it goes through uh, even how uh, the, the internet and how social media and, and how the digital world uh, continues to, uh, you know, create the narrative and, and even cultivate um, our, or I would say in, um, it amplifies, um, you know, how we view um, Black people and even Black women. So, for example, um, if you were to type a white woman, um, if you were to Google that, most of the time it will show white women, uh, you know, in, in very, um, you know, nice arrangement, you know, blonde hair, even blue eye, like, it, you know, the, I guess the stereotypical view of, of white women, innocent, you know, presentation. But if you were to type in black women, uh, oftentimes uh, sexualized images will emerge, uh, you know, women, uh, black women being violent, you know, is is the the algorithms uh, sway towards the the negative perceptions of black women. So it's um, you know definitely a a helpful tool. Um, just a few books. Thank you. Well, we you know we like to think our audience really does you know is kind of in line with this but our audience needs to you know read those books because we're the ones who are going to perpetuate the on the white side of things this the stopping of this is you know how i think of it and so like that's why we need to know what we need to do as individuals we need to know what we need to do as white people yeah. um and our, I, like we're not educating our audience on black lives matter to be honest with you our audience understands these concepts but we all need to we all need to be better and do better. And so that's, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Somebody like Amy Cooper, the woman in New York who. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, that's someone who very well could listen to a podcast like this, you know. No, yeah. Isn't that something, right? You know what I mean? I think, yeah, Amy Cooper is definitely like one of those, you know, situations, like you said, would, you know, consider herself not a racist and. Uh, you know, uh, probably, you know, aligns with, you know, intercultural engagement. In fact, uh, she went, uh, my fiance went to the University of Chicago um, 
and Amy Cooper went to the University of Chicago. Uh, but even what's interesting, even as these institutions uh, sort of tout uh, their progressive ways or, uh, you know, you know, their ways of, of you know, being open minded, um, my fiance Alicia will share, uh, know how Amy Cooper um, behave definitely makes sense in terms of what she experienced while at the University of Chicago. Uh, as a black woman. And, um, you know, that's, those are some of the things that even if we think, you know, locally, as we think about the University of Tennessee and, you know, other institutions uh, in our region, uh, there is significant work uh, that these institutions need to do to deconstruct and do the anti-racism work where, I mean, we have institutions that still have, uh, you know, name, building names after Confederate uh, soldiers and, and they will say that they tout in, you know, diversity, but their trustee board doesn't even have, you know, maybe one, you know, person of, of color, not even black person, but, you know, someone of color. So, uh, you know, I, as you all shared, you know, your, your audience, you know, they're, they're, you know, very knowledgeable. And I guess the, the question is always, you know, how do you, you know, apply what you know and even what's in your, your heart, um, I would just even, you know, share and, and recommend that um, in many ways, um, you know, our, Alicia and I, we also often talk that when we want to have a, a serious conversation, even with, uh, um, you know, between the two of us or amongst our friends, we call them chapter meetings, uh, <laughs> where chapter meetings is like this, you know, serious caucus uh, where we are not only going to define the issue, we're going to uh, figure out how to tackle this issue and, and we're going to transform the world. Uh, we really have these serious, you know, connection, um, you know, points that we call chapter meeting. Uh, I will say that really now is time. It, it's past time, but it's time time uh, for the white community uh, to have these chapter meetings. And, and I'm not saying that we necessarily, black people have to be involved, but, um, you know, we, we know what, I mean, the thing is, again, we, I feel like everybody knows what to do. Like we really do. Like if we want to talk politically, we know politically what we need to do. We know not only who we should vote for, but we should start saying, all right, how are we going to be intentional in these next elections, in the next county election, next city election, to ensure uh, that we have representation, like real representation, you know, just not one person, you know, to, you know, to somehow, um, you know, fix, uh, you know, even as I share, like, even when I wear, run, uh, ran for mayor, I did not see anybody who looked like me for 20 years uh, to run for mayor. I have not seen one black person run for mayor in 20 years in Knoxville. You know, so therefore, we should be intentional even right now to say, all right, uh, who, you know, for the, who, whatever the positions are up, who are we going to you know, to develop? Who are we going to empower to ensure, if anything, that everybody's issues 
are represented. And, you know, we're, we're on the okay track, you know, like I said, Daisha, she's, she's in there, but you know, it, it shouldn't also be uh, a situation where um, only uh, one district, you know, represents, you know, uh, somebody of, of color uh, that, you know, even as, as we look at the, the county makeup, you know, we, we look at, you know, who's serving in, in county positions, appointed positions, uh, you know, who have these uh, staff positions. You don't see anybody of color at the county level. And then we can continue to make the excuses. I'm sorry to go on this, you know, rant, but, you know, we can, uh, you know, make these excuses. Well, the, the county makeup is... It's only but a few, you know, there's, there's not a lot of representation. No, that's, that's not the, you know, for, um, you know, for, especially in the county, the, the city is, is doing a little better, but we can do even, we can do better even at the city level. Uh, that's they, usually how it goes be, though, right? The city is doing right. a little better than the county. Yeah, they'll do a little <laughs> better. They do, you know, they, we're, we're slightly, I, I'll, I'll say that, but, um, uh, but you know, if, if the there there has to be these these intentional ways to to say that you know even as as there are these you know as i you know called it these um these chapter meetings among uh our white brothers and sisters uh that we can say you know we we can get behind, like we can actually get uncomfortable and imagine uh, you know, some folks in certain positions that, you know, they may not be as clean cut or, you know, they might not have the, uh, the, the posture, uh, you know, that we ascribe to a, a typical uh, politician or a leader or whatever, but we, we can get behind their message and we know their character and that's what counts. Well, before we let you go, is there anything that we should talk about? That oh, we man. No, you know, I mean, I, th I think we, we kind of hit it, but I did have, have a question because you, you, you know, shared Ren, about the, about Amy Cooper. And I'm certainly curious with that narrative of, you know, the Karen and, you know, <laughs> the barbecue Be Becky, like how, like how does that resonate? You know, when you see that, you know, even for Amy, who, you know, we could assume, you know, given what she shared about herself and her background living in New York, that, you know, these are, honestly, this is somebody I could ideally have a beer with, right? Um, like, how, how, those, how do those episodes resonate with you all? Ren, you want to go? I have a lot of feelings, so I'll let you go. <laughs> you, go you go first. <laughs> well, it's, it's embarrassing. Um, it's also fright frightening that someone who probably mostly a reasonable person would behave way like that was her knee jerk reaction. And yeah. we talk about unconscious bias on this a lot. And I'd like to think it was an unconscious bias. I've got a friend in town, Lindsay, who is a black woman, professional, wonderful. And she did post a thing saying, I can't help but think she got more crap because she was dragging that dog around by its neck. Yeah. And all of those things are the things that 
we don't want to hear. White people get so very defensive when we're called racist, but maybe instead of being defensive, we shouldn't be racist. And like, if you were to say to me, hey, you're being racist, then I would be absolutely horrified and I would check my behavior. I wouldn't get mad at you for calling me that. If you felt that way, then I'm doing it. And, and I just think she is an embarrassing representation. I think that she should be an eye opener for all of us, white women who are white privileged women, to not behave that way, right? You can be a good example or you can be a horrible one. And she's the one we shouldn't ever be. There was another one recently where there was a young black woman sitting outside of her apartment building. Yeah, right. Did you yeah. see that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is something? She, you know what? That white woman was just pissed she was living there too. And then she had a nerve to say, come to the police. Like, come yeah. to the police with me. Like, right, right. now. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm going to do your, I'm going to do you a favor for harassing me in front of my building. But right. like, right. it's the continued oppression of black people, right? Yeah. So I, a black pe person can't possibly live in my nice neighborhood. Who, who are you? Who did, how did you become this elite person who's the only person who can live there? Why are only your, why is your white money good here? Her black money spends just like yours. And she's Absolutely. just as entitled to live in that building. That's em those, are, those are embarrassing stories. Those are stories that I would hate for you to associate with me. So that's my... Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I think she's everything that it would be my nightmare to be. But um, I think that, you know, I was reading an article recently talking about how white women are the most dangerous people in America. And I think, you know, it's kind of talking about like everything from Emmett Till to Chris Cooper. And I, th I think um, kind of similar to what Katrina was saying, it's kind of time, you know, we as women, as white women especially, have this like, it's like we have this um, assumption of inherent goodness. Entitlement. <laughs> well, but I think like, you know, it's just like in the media or anything, like, you know, white women are just good. Like we're just good. And I actually am just good. But I don't think that's yeah. true for all white women. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, she's right. No, no, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, well, and, be honest here. well, also the overwhelming thing in that, you know, when this all happens, we're still talking about her. The man she does this to exercised an immense amount mm -hmm. of compassion yeah. and caring and sympathy for her when, quite frankly, I don't know that she deserved it, but he said, I don't love that she got all this backlash. He doesn't yeah, love yeah. that she did it. Wasn't that something? Yeah. But what a what a wonderful man. What a wonderful, wonderful, caring, loving man to not be angry, but to be just sad and disappointed. Um, yet we're still talking about her. We're not talking about his kindness, his his and he did not turn back on her what she gave to him. Right. And that's an incredible amount of just, just amazing resolve as human. He's a human and he treated her like a human, even when she didn't treat him like one. Right. Um, and again, it's always, we are always focusing on the, the, the bad people and not the other, you know, either the victim or the, you know, he, he's just this good guy who wanted to look at his birds. <laughs> she made some really <laughs> poor choices He's just a weirdo in the park and wants to look at some birds. Leave him I alone. Mean, right. Like, <laughs> you know, he not hurt nobody. No. And, and like, anyway, who's a birder? <laughs> but 
like, but really. And so I was really overwhelmed by his reaction to it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Instead yeah. of, you know, he, what a, just what a guy I would really love to know. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's even indicative of our community, particularly a black community, because you think about uh, what happened um, in South Carolina and the church there in Charleston, their posture, their posture was grace, extending grace, uh, even to Dylan Ruth. I, I think about, um, uh, I forgot the uh, Bethone, uh, the gentleman in Dallas who was killed in the apartment by the off-duty police oh, officer. Yes, his um, brother. Yeah, his brother extending uh, grace um, to uh, in in the courtroom. Um, honestly, that's I I would struggle. I mean, I can't say what I would do in that instance, but I I know what's consistent within the black community in terms of the continued extension of grace. And I just even thank you all for uh, what you are doing with your platform and how you uh, are intentional about including uh, different voices and, and perspectives. And, um, you know, I would just implore your audience and uh, those who are listening uh, just to continue to do uh, the hard work, the necessary work, the work of justice um, and, and love is, is, is messy is complicated, but is necessary. And um, we have to do the work of, of deconstructing. It's, it's, it's not, you know, going to be this, uh, I would love for it to, to be, a, ultimately it will be a kumbaya moment, but, you know, until we get over the myths of, of this nation, that this nation uh, was, was built uh, and, and milk and honey flows in and through it, until we get over those myths, uh, we're going to, continue on this cycle. So it's, it's going to take the complicated, uh, messy work. And, and thank you all for um, willing to, to take on the conversations and, and the work of well, doing so. Well, thank you, because you certainly don't owe just a couple white women anything. Um, <laughs> we really, you know, we're really grateful that you would come on and, you know, speak to our audience and kind of give your perspective because it, it, it is important. And like I said, we're, we so focus and we keep having this dialogue, like you said, continuing black men are terrible people and all this. Well, all these black men did all these wonderfully kind things when yeah. kindness was not shown to them. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we have this continued dialogue? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And so it. it's just, we just need to be, and quite frankly, we need to be called out on our racism when it needs to be called out. To call, it, call it for what it is. Call it for what it is. And, and we can't, until it until we call it for what it is, we're not going to do the uh, the necessary healing. You know, we'll just do the performance. But just call it for what it is. Let's get through with it. You know, this. You know, it, it's like going to the dentist. Nobody wants to do it, but you you got to do it. Well, you know. Yep. So and do better, people. We need to do better. Do better. Yes. Do better. Be better. Know better. Mm -hmm. And our society will, will, uh, it will, will be prosperous for that. We really will. So thank you all. Thank you. You're a good man. We're really glad to have you in our community. And oh, we're very blessed to have you on today. Oh, thank you. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll catch Mitch uh, the next time. But, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the plant was, was a, a great <laughs> We We went great through addition, about pretty plant. 
there were like four different ones and <laughs> them out. Yeah. It, it was like a thing. Like we had to like approve which plant was in. He he usually um in these will say I have no I have nothing here as a I'm just a white guy. A white guy, I'm you know. I do think I do think we need to have like this kind of regular Calvin segment to be honest with you. I like mean, I wish we yeah, I wish we could have done this in person. Every, that, yes. Oh, no, yeah, maybe one day, you know, when when everything gets back to normal. Uh but oh by all means, let's you know, I'm I'm open and uh you know, uh whether uh Mitch or the plant is there, I I'll, I'll <laughs> you know. The plants oh, actually plants are yeah, plants are actually therapeutic. You know what I mean? Like actually, actually, white men might be able to take some notes from plants. You know? I, agreed. Agreed. Be quiet and beautiful. Just stop. Just, just you know, just chill out. You know, just be therapeutic. Well, our Change, intention, uh, our intention anyway, was to have you really do the majority of the talking. So it's just fine that he was. He was only a plant today. Um, oh no, I just, yeah, it's not about us. You know, wanted to. Rep, you know, as accurately or as appropriately represent, you know. Well, yeah, I hope it was helpful. I, I hope it, it was it was helpful. And and again, any friend of Daisha is, is a friend of mine. And, and um, just knowing, you know, the work that you all do, I appreciate the work y'all do in our community. And and um, and even uh, with the League of Women Voters, it's you know bringing in the perspective uh, that that you all bring is. It's, it, you know, y'all, y'all doing a wonderful work in that. Thank you. So thank thank you. you. We try to always try to do more. So thank you, Calvin. We we are so very, very, very grateful for you to have joined us today. Truly. Take care, and um, as with any um, sort of situation where the the times might seem dark, um, joy comes in the morning. Uh, day. Uh, will come where uh, we will, I trust, uh, see a, a, a society that uh, brings about justice and healing and, and renewal. Uh, we just have to continue to do the work. So you all demonstrate that uh, there's joy that's coming um, as, as we continue to commit to the hard work. Thank you, Calvin. Thank you. Be, be well and be safe, and we absolutely well, love you. Thank you. Love you all. Take care. Bye-bye. So what a gift that was to be able to chat with Calvin. Um, I don't think, I mean, I don't, I didn't have, I probably had some ideas about how the conversation would go, but it certainly exceeded my expectations. He's so just, I love him. Loveliest of the lovelies. Like he's. Heart. I love him. I like, I love him in my core so much. Like, what a he comes from such a place of kindness and compassion that is so lacking now that it's breathtaking it's it's really remarkable how very he should be so angry and he should be and i know he said he's gone through his ups and downs and we caught him on a week where he was feeling gratitude but and you know I'm sure he is angry, but sure, and he's allowed to, and just like we get angry, but his this is so applicable to him, and he's still showing such grace um, when he's he's basically demanding that we all show grace. He's he's exuding it, and what a great just what a great example! What a great example of what a human being 
should be. Yeah. And I think if we could all speak the truth with the kindness that he does, the world would be a much better place. Yes. And it just proves you can have hard conversations or conversations that make you uncomfortable, but still with kindness and, and calmness. I wasn't really that uncomfortable. I wasn't, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, this, as you know, and as Mitch points out on the reg, um, is a topic that (laughs) generally makes me feel uncomfortable, but the time for, the time for caring about that is over. Right. It's not about us, but then he also put it in such a way that instead of like being on the attack, he knew we, he knows we want to be an ally. So he didn't want to alienate us with any kind of, I mean, because I'm sure he could have a very different conversation with different people if he needed to. Um, And it would be a lot more charged. And so, I mean, he said the hard stuff that in a nice way, in a kind way to where it's, I just think kindness is, and we talk about this all the time, kindness is the answer, the way that we need to be heading. And instead of, always just being so on the negative, on the defensive, on the kind, like if we ever, if we just would treat everybody with kindness, like they were a human being, we would be so much better. Yes, we would, you know? And so, um, I hope we have a lot more conversations like this because I think they're extremely necessary. And I hope that those of you who are listening will be willing to be uncomfortable and have conversations like this. Well, and be just not, not just be not racist, but be anti-racist. You know, right. don't, you need to correct the people around you when they need to be corrected. Um, you need to not, you need to look into what microaggressions are. You may not be aware you're doing them, but you might be, and you need to know what they are so you can be educated on them. Because I know you don't want to do it. I know you don't. and but you might be, and it might be really uncomfortable for the people around you. And don't just be not a racist, be an anti-racist. Truly. I mean, we, we can't, this is how we have to, we have to be the change. We have to. Um, and it, it starts with each of us individually stopping it and, and, and educating those around us. Because it's not, it shouldn't be our job, but it is. Yeah. Well, as you and I talked about, I saw recently this problem's not going away until we stop considering it a black problem and consider it a white problem. This is our problem. This is our problem. We did this. We did this. Yeah. We did this. We did this from the beginning of our country and we continue to do this. And it is, it is not a black problem. It is absolutely a white problem. I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. We, you know, um, not taking anything away from the work that they are doing. Because no. It's important and good work. They, but I'm they just are saying, doing the work that we should have done hundreds of years ago. Yeah. It's, but it's like, you know, it's like, it's like that joke. If every roommate you've ever had is a bad roommate, you're the bad roommate. Guys, we're the bad roommate. We're the bad roommate. We're a terrible roommate. And well, we, ha- we are the problem and we have to fix it. When we look back at the end of our life, will we have done the right thing? Yeah. You know, I, do you want to be on the right side of this thing or the wrong side of this thing? That's all I, th- I mean, that's what I think about. I think you think about the civil war. Would you have, would you have rather fought for the union or the Confederacy? That's right. I mean, I, well, some people would answer that still incorrectly, but that's, that's correct. But I would like to not, I would like to, you know, when this is done and over and God, I hope it's in my lifetime 
I want to say I fought on the correct side. That's right. I fought, I fought for human people to be treated like human people. And, you know, then that's it. I mean, so um, I guess we'll post this in, in all our places. You'll get to see this on Facebook. Um, and I think people shouldn't remember our normal tagline today. I think we should remember Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. And I think if you don't know what that means, feel free to have a conversation with us. We'll happily have a discussion and explain to you what that means. But get your get your minds right, people. Um, just saying. Uh, so we love you still. <laughs> um, and you know, like we said, we're we're open for conversation. We're open for whatever you feel like you need to talk it out. You know, criticize whatever. We can have that conversation. We're we're good with it. We know where we are and. Uh, if you don't know where you are, we can help you. You know, we have a conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. It's all good. 